Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that normally sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. But this week is a special triple threat week as three movies go head-to-head. So on Monday's episode, we spent some quality time on Alcatraz in The Rock. And still to come on Saturday's extra episode, we're going to be seeing a face literally come off in Face Off. But today, we're taking to the skies as we're welcomed aboard Conair. After serving the last of his sentence, Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. Today's flight is a special one. We're populating Louisiana's Felton Penitentiary. These guys are the worst of the worst. I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime lives, three Regis and Kathy Lee's, and a genuine 2020 interviewee. What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I was just... Admire on your cage. But one wrong flight. Stewardess, what's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> can ruin your whole day. We'll have a winner at the end of the week. It's a Clash of the Titles Triple Threat Special. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Put the bunny back in the box. I'm Alex Zaid. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. So, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us already, please do. A uh, little crust at the start of the show. That'd be lovely. Thank you. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. And also, uh, if you do have time, a little rating or review is massively helpful to a little show like ourselves. Um, also, as well as this being a very special triple threat week, it is also our special January Clash Podders Takeover Clash Pod special. All the films we're doing have been suggested by you. Reminders of whose films we're doing this week, Chris. <clears throat> ben Ryan and Gary Bailey both suggested this uh, three-way, even though we asked people for two films. They broke the rules and they were rewarded for it. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Uh, so uh, let's get straight into this one because I was at Ranger Alex, uh, your tour guide around Alcatraz on Monday. Vicky <laughs> is taking your face off on Saturday, which means Chris is head air steward for today's film, Con Air. Chris, 
take us on a journey. Aircon removes heat and moisture from the interior of an occupied space. Con Air removes criminals from the interior of an occupied space. Unless you are Cameron Poe, for whom Con Air is a kind of airborne Uber, taking him home following a 10-year stint in prison. Poe doesn't count on the plane being filled with some of the best character actors of his generation, however, who are all trying to escape from this nonsense. What follows is a prison break movie that producer Jerry Bruckheimer claims, and I'm quoting here, is character-driven, features characters that are carefully drawn, and is filled with characters that are rich in dimension, suggesting he's the one who should be in prison for talking bollocks. So when did you first see Con Air Victoria? Well, I thought I'd seen it, but now I don't think I have. And I think I've just... You, you've seen it now, I've though. Seen it. Oh, no, sorry. No, I have nothing to say. No, I just think I blended The Rock and something else and Face Off and just bits... So I don't know. I honestly can't say. It felt very familiar, but then I couldn't hand on heart say I'd seen it before this week. How about you, Alex? This, as I mentioned on Monday's show, this is one of those films that certainly falls into that. I know I've seen it and I know I've seen it a lot, but the first time I remember kind of watching it on video somewhere, Like, but it was great. I've always loved it and I will revisit it. Yep. Yep. You will revisit it after today. After today. I know it's going to be one of those movies that I revisit in the future. <laughs> I don't. I have rarely want to revisit our films once we've done them on the podcast because mm. you've spent so much time thinking about them and analysing them and making notes that I'm I sort of, oh, that Wrecked one can it. go to, yeah. I've ruined it. Yeah. I'm, ruining, I'm ruining so many films. It's a really interesting point though, but I think if films do have, as you're watching them, you go, but that moment is so good. I will sit through a whole movie if I know there is a moment. Like The Rock we were talking about on Monday. I'll sit through The Rock knowing that I am going to get Get that payoff at the end that is going to have such an emotional impact is worth waiting for. But you know it's on YouTube, that clip. <laughs> and I have done that as well. I'll just go, do you know what? I'll just get, Green my, smoke. get my little fix. Green smoke. <laughs> uh, I loved Con Air when I saw it. I remember liking The Rock at the time and loving Con Air. That, oh. that, that 12-month period. Okay. I'm not saying how I feel about him now, right? Uh, but a big fan of this. So let's talk about a bit of background. Um, I found the production notes for this one online, Alex. Did you? Yes. <laughs> you say that I, I've yeah. gone to you and gone, Chris, <laughs> do you think you might be able to find the production notes I didn't for know. I didn't know 25-year-old production notes were just out, out and about there. It's very useful. Okay. Uh, so screenwriter Scott Rosenberg, um, he first learned of the US Marshals Prisoner Transport Service uh, while scanning a newspaper article, and then he visited uh, the outfit's Oklahoma City base and spent three days on the Conair plane with the convicts. Oh, cool. That's research. Yeah. Um, he said I mean, I say cool. Probably really fucking <laughs> yeah. scary. Yeah. Why were they on a plane for three days? Uh, maybe he went on three journeys with them. Maybe oh, right. that's what it was. Um, Sorry. He said... No, you know no plane can stay in the air for three no, days. No, I mean, but if you're in a grounded plane and you're a prisoner, why would you be on it for three days? Why would, do you know why it doesn't matter? You're not on a grounded plane. He was in the air with them. Oh, right. <laughs> and not for three days. They didn't just go... You're researching a movie. We'll get you some prisoners. I think that's what, stick them on a plane. That's what I thought, and you yeah. can just go on. For oh, three days. Let me explain because he's quoted. He said, We flew all over the country. These guys were in a really bad mood. It was just before Christmas <laughs> and that didn't help matters. But it was great for me to see the tension and the conditions and to observe these hardened convicts at their worst. It was very unsettling and a bit terrifying. But I knew the story would make a great film. Uh, the breach of security that we depict in this movie could never happen, or so they insist. They laughed when I asked if there was a plausible way the Cons in this story might be able to take over the plane. They told me the only way was to let my imagination run wild, so I did. Wow. That's interesting because there is that line in the movie 
where they talk about um, having a plan, a backup plan for when this happens. And they say, there isn't one. We don't We don't have a contingency plan for when this happens. And I thought when they said that, I was like, you probably should, though. Yeah. You should just, just the most minute chance that this might happen. Have a contingency plan like we don't. You know, if they take over the plane, it's sort of just theirs. Up to them, really. Really. They can go where they want. Uh, on Monday's episode, I mentioned High Concept, the book about the life and times of Don Simpson, who was a larger-than-life uh, Hollywood producer. Um, and I said I'd, I'd talk about the story of the pair of them, him and Bruckheimer, who uh, were a producing partnership. Um, this had got to a point in their relationship just before... Uh, the Rock was made, that um, Bruckheimer had decided he was going to go it alone. He wanted a professional life free of Simpson. He was spending all his time apologising for him, explaining away disappearances to drug rehab centres or from them. Um, he said Simpson, Simpson was totally absent during The Rock. He visited the location once and the set twice. Um, Bruckheimer only had the baggage of Simpson's reputation and the anxiety of his poor health to remind him that he even had a partner. So they were, they were going their separate ways when Simpson died uh, during post-production on The Rock, and so Conair marked the first time that they'd that Br- uh, that Bruckheimer had made a film without Simpson since Flashdance. Until, as I mentioned, Bad Boys Three. Weirdly, yeah, the, one of the visits I think because he <clears throat> did meet Sean Connery on the set of The Rock on one of his um, few visits to that set, and I think Sean Connery said, uh, you know, after he passed away, that he wasn't ent- or, or entirely surprised because he didn't look well. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, Bruckheimer got hold of that script that Scott Rosenberg uh, wrote and said I saw great potential in it and so I immediately began pursuing it for my own company it was certainly great writing but I instantly surmised that the script needed more heart uh, I had to, it had to be more character driven which is a common theme throughout all of my films no matter what the action content might be mm. which I think is up for debate but <laughs> um, and this is where he starts talking about he's got to have carefully drawn characters and so he asks Scott to add more dimensions to the characters so one wonders what dimensions they had before this uh, point yeah. probably it was they need a cuddly bunny and then that's, <laughs> they're lovely now <laughs> um, Scott Rosenberg is friends with um, John Cusack and Steve Buscemi. And so he wrote uh, Agent Larkin and Garland Green specifically for those actors. Uh, And as we mentioned the other day, um, uh, Nick Cage had a meeting to discuss Conair in a room above The Rock's rap party. Uh, The same evening, he won the Screen Actors Guild Award for leaving Las Vegas. So it was all happening very fast for him. Um, He trained with our old friend, Benny Urquidez. Oh, wow. Uh, to perfect his fighting technique. And I'm sure I said his last name wrong. Urquidez? Oh, from... Um, from everything. Um, <laughs> Gross Point Blank. He's in that. Yeah, he thing, fights yeah. him in Gross Point he Blank. He fights him in Gross Point Blank. Uh, no, he fights Kuzak in Gross Point Blank. Yes. Cage. And, um, but we first talked about him. He was the guy who was not given nearly enough time to train the cast of oh, Street, yeah. Street Fighter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. He was doing Street Fighter and then they moved the schedule around and he like did his best, but that's why all the fights in Street Fighter are bollocks. <laughs> uh, and he helped get Cage down to 3% body fat. He wow. looks he looks great. He I watched this and Face Off back to back. And Face Off, he's just like a different person, like physically. And in yeah. this, like, I mean, he's clearly going... You know, I want to see a montage where I just show off my my body lifting and body builds and yoga because he's doing all that in his oh, cell. Oh yeah, 
And they got Simon West to direct it. So Michael Bay came from a music video background. Um, that's what got him into the movies. I would say his most famous video is I'll Do Anything for Love by Meatloaf. That's a Michael Bay joint. And uh, Simon West's most famous music video, or certainly his most watched music video, do you know what it is? No. One of the most watched music videos of all time, even though no one's actually clicked on it to watch it. Oh, Rick Astley. Yeah. Uh, Rick Rowling on YouTube. Yeah, never going to no. give you up. <laughs> he directed that. Really? <laughs> That's what helped get him this gig. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and then there's a funny thing in uh, the High Concept book uh, where... Um, uh, Bruckheimer wanted to stamp his um, authority on this project without Simpson. So apparently the first page of the production notes initially uh, referred to him as the notable producer, Jerry Bruckheimer, the distinguished producer, Jerry Bruckheimer, the eminent producer, Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, they say it looked like he created, wrote, directed and produced and distributed Con Air all on his own. <laughs> and Simon West was livid. <laughs> and so it's funny that I found the real production notes and those words aren't in there, but he's referred to in the first few pages as extraordinary, respected, exceptional, accomplished with impeccable instincts. <laughs> so he, he, stay true to his word there, really. Um, but now, shall we talk about the movie? Sure. Which I think we've thought about in the last week probably more than Scott Rosenberg, the writer, ever did. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, let's kick off with Act One, which I'm calling Incarceration. Um, it begins with some military B-roll, which is how 95% of Jerry Bruckheimer <laughs> movies begin, <laughs> uh, including the last one we talked about. Yeah, it about. did. The, ro- the rock It did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to spend a bit of time on the uh, opening couple of scenes because I think there's a lot going on. Uh, we meet Nicholas Cage, who's Cameron Poe, uh, a US Ranger who calls women ma'am and is coming home to his pregnant wife in Alabama. That was a Cage idea as well. He was the one who created the idea of him being a ranger, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Not to take anything away from Scott Rosenberg, because <laughs> I, I feel you've already done that. So um, <laughs> He's been discharged from the Rangers. Uh, how long would you say he's been away? Well, she's how pregnant is she? Exactly. Yeah. I don't feel like the timelines line up here because they seem to imply that he's been away a long time. Uh-huh. But she's pregnant, so... Are we saying it might not be his? It might be the guy in the bar. <laughs> it would make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So he, Nicolas Cage kills her baby's father <laughs> at the start? Yep. Wow. This is a very different film. And how, how pregnant is she? Because... She's rocking a six pack. She pretty is pretty right. much. Yeah, she's still working. She's still standing on her feet. Well, that's allowed, I think, that's, early on. But do you have the six? Does the six pack uh, stay in shape for I the first few months? Never lost much, so it is feasible. Um, I feel like we meet Cage playing against type here. Isn't he a little bit? It's understated and straight and like it's yeah. not It's not the big cage. I'm going to come out and say it. I don't like this version of cage. <laughs> um, I prefer I prefer off the wall, hyperkinetic, mental cage. Yeah. This is this is all a bit sombre for me and it doesn't work for me, cage like this. Um, we hear the song, How Do I Live? Oh, I love that song. Are you a fan of that song? <laughs> Oscar nominated song? I mean, it's, a, it's silly, but in, the, in that film, I was like, yeah, you got me. What did it lose? It lost the Titanic, didn't it? Yeah, um, it's an interesting story behind that because um, the woman who wrote it, Diane, Diane Warren, Warren yes. who's written everything. She's like one of the, she's, I don't think she's ever won, but she's one of the most nominated mm. uh, people at the Oscars. She wrote every pop song that was in a movie, for, yeah. a movie soundtrack. What's in the there? one it's from the Mannequin? Yeah, he did, nothing's going to stop nothing's us now. Nothing's going to stop us yeah. now. That's her. Which for quite a long time was my favourite song of all time. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's, they were literally from about the age of eight to 
12, I, there was not a better song in the world ever. <laughs> She's brilliant. She's a real character as well. Um, she, um, she was writing that for Con Air and she ran into Leanne Rhymes and said, I've written this for you. You've got to record it. Leanne Rhymes recorded it the next day. And then Disney <laughs> decided that her version was too poppy and that Leanne Rhymes was too young to be recording a song about that serious subject matter because she was only 14. So the company gave it to Trisha Yearwood mm. and that's the version of the song that's in the film. Mm. But Leanne Rhymes people were like, let's get this out to mainstream pop radio. And it ended up being one of the biggest hits of all time for Leanne Rhymes, not Trisha Yearwood. It was on the Billboard charts for 69 weeks, <laughs> which is mad. Wow. She, it's got all kinds of records that song has. And weirdly, neither version of it appears on the film's soundtrack. No, it does. Oh, you mean the one they released? Yeah. Right, sorry. It's in the film, though, at the start, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's yeah, not yeah. on the soundtrack. Right. Which, I mean, they would have sold a lot of copies if they so if they strange, put yeah. them both on. So, yeah, they're um, having a little dance to that. And then, uh, as Alex mentioned, a couple of uh, good old boys um, start on Cameron Poe. But he keeps his cool because he's matured in his his sense sort of just... Sort of, because he really wants to go for them. And she goes, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Because you remember you used to do that a lot and it was shit. So can you not? But he doesn't. And then they're waiting for him outside in the rain uh, near a big mining thing. Um, for, <laughs> for some reason. And he gets he takes a three on one uh, beating. And in response, he puts um, a guy's nose through his brain. That's the punch, isn't it? I was talking about that to someone. Yeah, it's that punch where you punch the bottom of their nose and their nose, the top of the bridge of the nose goes into their brain and okay. you kill them. He doesn't have a very good lawyer. He has the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's the right. Worst. Just say, uh, just plead guilty. Four, four, four years tops, you'll be out after one. Seven to ten. Yeah. Yeah, b- yeah uh, because he's a deadly weapon. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, a good lawyer would have known. I think the judge, this judge has got a thing about men in the military being deadly weapons, so there's my advice. But we're in Alabama. Like, I think he would be getting credit. I think he'd be celebrated for doing there this. There is not a court in the land <laughs> that would send him to prison. Yeah. He was set upon by three men. His wife is pregnant. No mm. way. Mm. Um, and then we get a montage. A and hell of a boy, montage. boy, oh boy, is this a good montage. It's a letter writing home montage, yoga, uh, riots, uh, learning Spanish, uh, getting pumped, communicating with his kid, learning origami, and most importantly, growing his hair. There's a lot going on in this montage. It's a hell of a montage. Um, he also um, receives some pink coconut balls called snowballs through the post. You would not give those away in prison, no. even if your friend uh, there, baby O is asking for what well, you'd be like fuck that mm. uh, I mean that's, this is currency he doesn't even trade for anything he just gives, gives it to him um, Baby O played by Michael T. Williamson um, he does give him the snowballs now um, either he gives Baby O diabetes mm. or if Baby O has diabetes then he's trying to kill trying him, to kill him yeah. so why, why why the diabetes and the sugar thing in well, the why first? Is it? it's never they never make it it's like oh you know I've been eating those snowballs all yeah. year I actually can't have them <laughs> the and one character with diabetes in the film is the one character munching down on pink coconut balls how polite do you have to be with diabetes <laughs> to go I better eat it though because it's a gift yeah and we're in prison and gifts are rare in prison <laughs> this, is, this is so unusual I mean yeah. oh diabetes but prison gift yeah. 
But he's up parole, for parole and he's heading home with a pink bunny for his daughter. Um, then we meet uh, US Marshal Vince Larkin, played by uh, John Cusack. Fuck those sandals. They so, ruined that character. Alex, he's in sandals oh, and socks. God. Would it be better if he was... A sandals better with or without socks for you? Sandals are better without socks, even though I dislike Ooh. feet. Yeah, I know. Mm. But but just, he's a great character and he looks so cool in that cream linen suit. And I'm like, oh, John Cusack looking cool. And those sandals make me dislike the entire character. Okay, but, you know. No, there's no reason. Th- it's fine enough just because he's educated and a bit spiritual and hippie. He's and, a hippie. Yeah. They're there to, the, the sandals are there to wind Malloy up, played by Colmini. Well, and so, and he I does think, get wound up by it. So having the desired effect within the narrative. I think if Bay, you need Bay on set going, like maybe Vince Larkin, because he becomes more heroic as it goes on. Maybe someone stamps on his stupid sandals <laughs> early on and then he puts on some like steel actual toe Actual fucking shoes. Actual fucking shoes. That's what. <laughs> Bay would have done. You know, I'm I'm now missing Bay on this movie. <laughs> uh, so Larkin is transporting prisoners by a plane called the Jailbird to a brand new Supermax prison. It's designed to house the worst of the worst uh, lifers. Some of them on death row, pure predators, each and every one of them. I wish they called the plane the Jailbird more because it's kind of a cool name is, for yeah, a plane, and they never, apart from you, I think you only ever see it written on the side, yeah. and they just keep referring to it as the plane the or transport, yeah, yeah. And it's like call it where the Jailbird's missing. Yeah. It's cool. Why is Baby O on this plane? Because why is he going to a Supermax prison when he's? I remember this. Because for no other reason than he needs to be there to have sure. his diabetes flare up. Because Joe, like uh, Nicholas Cage, actually goes, "Oh, and you're you'll have a change of scenery or something going to the other prison for no discernible reason." But that explains why you're getting on this plane. Yeah, yeah, because you know uh, Cameron Poe is just being transported. He's he's going to be free. Everyone else is going to Supermax because they are pure evil incarnate. Mm. Yet Baby O's like quite decent, and we like him, and he's yeah. a goodie. And oh, so well, you're meant to think that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it doesn't that doesn't really work. Yeah, but they're not all going to the same Supermax because it's got a few. No. It's like a bus. You stop off. Yeah, you stop <laughs> here. Some people get off. Some people get on. So we've got an all-star flight. Let's talk about some of the passengers. Um, well, Billy... shall we talk about how? Do you mind this introduction? Because there's a shitload of narration coming up. A shitload of voiceover. Oh yeah. As the prisoner, I know how you feel about no, voiceover. I, no, I really, really liked okay, it. Okay. Yeah, I really liked it. So we got Billy Bedlam, played by some bloke. Um, <laughs> I thought <laughs> <I'm, laughs> he looked really familiar. So I wrote down. Which actor plays Billy Bedlam and never looked it up? No, I, I did. I can't remember. Know, we do know him. Oh, that's so. We'll have to do it later. We do. We do know him from this. Um, he's not a famous bloke. So he's a mass murderer. He killed his wife's family uh, when he found her in bed with another man, and then he killed their dog. Yeah, but he says he goes. He went four towns over state to kill their family, mm. and he killed her dog. So he went four towns over to kill the family, and then came back and killed the dog. Mm. Or was it worth? the family's dog that was he killed? I think dog? it was the family's dog okay. he killed. Uh, Diamond Dog. Speaking of dogs, I love Diamond Dog. Uh, he's a former general of the Black Gorillas who blew up a meeting of the NRA. He's a bit all over the place, this guy. But Denzel apparently might play him in a movie it's so awesome though here Ving Rhames plays him yeah uh, they needed a tough guy story. Like, you could do anything with that character it's like, I just love the detail of that backstory the black gorillas though did they need to no could they not have said black panthers were they scared of the black panthers possibly <laughs> it's not very subtle then by calling them black gorillas um no. 
Cyrus the Virus, uh, Mr. John Malkovich, <laughs> uh, who's guilty of kidnap, robbery, murder, extortion, poster child for the Kremlin stain, uh, and brags that he's killed more people than cancer. Yeah. I'll be honest, I haven't Which seen... he hasn't. <laughs> he just definitely to, hasn't. Just to be clear, that's such a bold claim. That's the only thing that makes me think he is insane, because he seems quite reasonable. I haven't seen this film in about 15 years, and I've got to be honest, in my head, I was confusing him with Steve Buscemi's character, yeah. because they kind of set them both up yeah. as quite the similar... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, quite charming, evil, you know, I, to the point that I was expecting him to be in the Lectomar yeah. gear rather than um, Cyrus. Um, the aforementioned Baby O, who um, is, as Alex says, he's Cameron Poe's mate. He's a diabetic who needs his shot. Um, Johnny 23. Yeah. Danny oh, Trejo. Yeah, yeah. Danny Trejo. 23 counts of rape. That is why he's called that. He's got a heart tattooed on his arm for each of the rapes. Yeah. But it's good because... Cyrus goes, I despise rapists. They're somewhere between insects and the white stuff that gathers in the corner of your mouth. So we know that... Everyone just do that really quickly. (laughs) And so that makes us like Cyrus immediately, which is a really great bit of writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pinball Parker... Uh, played by Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Uh, a bit of a surprise seeing him in this film. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. He was on the way up at the time. And uh-huh. yeah, um, he's an arm robber, an arsonist, and a dope fiend. Um, and then we've also got a cop, uh, played by someone else. Um, yeah, who cares? Uh, he's a DEA agent who needs to talk to a drug baron that they're going to be seeing. Um, so he's set in undercover and he's, he's not allowed a gun on the plane, but he sneaks one on. Yeah. He's also the worst DEA agent in he the really world. He really is bad at his job. I'm, I'm going to take this gun and then I'm just going to pull it out at the least opportune moment when everyone's armed and I could just sort of stay quiet and maybe sort of report back to Colmini about what's going on somehow but no I'm going to kill everyone (laughs) he just blow his cover he's like I'm a DA he's like shut up yeah and it's weird because both him and Colmini DA agents according to this movie are the most arrogant people in the world because in any circle I'm DAA yeah and everyone's supposed to be (laughs) DA that'll be why (laughs) (laughs) I'm da Uh, Let's take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the escape. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This week on Stakhanov. Throughout January, Clash of the Titles are letting you pick the films being battled out on air. Already binged your way through Netflix during lockdown? Listeners Alex, Vicky and Chris rediscover and tear apart old and new favourites alike week in, week out. I like here, though, that Michael Bay starts as he means to go on. I made a list of sort of Bayisms from this sequence. Uh, low angles, lens flare, dry ice, washed out colours, military hardware, men marching, orchestral score, guitar riffs. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're looking for some much needed escapism, why not catch up with the Abroad in Japan podcast? Chris was recently joined by Joy the Anime Man to discuss mastering conversational Japanese. That's a really interesting topic, that channeling, which is where you kind of go, oh, oh, so not that. In Japanese, if you don't do the every now and then, then people just think you're not listening or you're ignoring them. All that and a whole lot more at Sakanov. So we're back and we're into Act 2, which is the escape, uh, which kicks off with Cyrus and Diamond pulling pins from their hands. Yeah, mm. I know. It made me feel Is it smooth. in their skin? Yeah, I've seen that before where people have like put glue on their skin to make it look like skin and pulled them out. But I've, this I thing, think it was in their skin. It's in their skin. There's a couple of really cool moments. Because I think in a movie like this, when you're seeing prisoners breaking out of prison, even if it's on a plane... You do sort of go, have I seen it before? Is mm. this something I've seen before? And both the pins under the skin, I've not seen before, or I hadn't done when I first saw this movie, at least. And the bit where Dave Chappelle what? has thread <laughs> down his throat with some matches and some kerosene, mm. that I've never seen I before. I wish I'd been better prepared, because we'd watched these films over Christmas, and I was just tucking into my chocolate orange at that point, mm. and I was like, what? That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that Cameron Poe doesn't say anything at that point. Yeah. He, like Dave Chappelle pulls it out, and he's clearly going to do something really bad, and goes, shh, to Cameron okay. Poe, and he goes, oh, all right, <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, Go ahead with this terrible escape plan that's going to ruin my fucking day. <laughs> Regarding the pins, though, uh, some questions. I know this was pre-9-11, but we still had to go through metal detectors in the 1990s. Yeah. And if anything, these guys should have to go through more security than we do. Yeah. Um, uh, Rosenberg, the writer, says, uh, nobody frisked me. Um, of the recalling the moment he had to the aircraft. That's because you're a weedy little writer. Yeah, I just and also, what's a shitty thing to do? Uh, <clears throat> we're going to let you on our plane for three days. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to put that you didn't frisk me because you're idiots. <laughs> yeah. I just walked on with a notebook, pencil and tape recorder. When I asked about contingency plans in case something went wrong, they didn't have an answer because there aren't any such plans. They run a very smooth, highly efficient operation. So that's why he put in the movie, we don't have a contingency yeah. plan for anything going yeah. wrong. That's why he had a tape recorder. Oh, that's really terrifying then. That is really terrifying. <laughs> I, I don't it. ever get on a Con Air. Yeah, I get it. I, I'm, going to emphasize, I'm going to re-emphasise my point earlier. Just have one, just in case, just a backup. 
Um, so uh, they break free. Uh, Cyrus and Diamond go on a bit of a bloody killing spree. Um, Malkovich <laughs> gets to say, welcome to Con Air. Brilliant. Lovely. Love it when they say oh, the title in the movie. It's, well, it's, it's the same as Connery going, welcome to The Rock. Yeah, in it's fact, to all three of these films, you get to hear the title in the movie. Um, and then, you know, Cameron, we get Cameron stopping uh, 23 from um, assaulting <laughs> the prison guard. Yeah. Um, There's a scene here, though, where Cage sees everything kicking off and everyone escapes and a single solitary tear rolls down his cheek <laughs> from his eye and I'd never noticed it before. That? I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, if you watch it... Are you yeah. sure you weren't crying and it, it fuzzed up your... <laughs> I cry later in this one. I cry later. Uh, but yeah, the, the camera pans on him and he sees the fact that basically his day is going to shit because he's going to A, have to do something and B, he's not going to get home to see his kid and give her the money mm. as soon as possible. And I think I think it's the realisation of all of that that just like, you know, he's going to have to go back to his violent ways. Single tear just mm. down his cheek. Beautiful. It's not though because I'm like, <laughs> you don't cry Nicolas Cage, especially not at a scene like this. Yeah, but he's not playing, the, he doesn't have to play the same character in every film. I, 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 I require him to. But we've got these moral quandaries now because the, the cop makes his move uh, mistakenly and then Poe gets involved and they all claim he's got the cop killed and they're all sort of that, yeah. they're almost Poe Poe ends up on their side because they think he's helped them kill the cop and he was trying yeah. to save the cop mm. but he wants to help Baby O he wants to rescue um, the prison guard um, and they tell him you know think of your little girl but he's too brave for that that sense of justice sure was, I, and I like that yeah. he's a hero I think wouldn't it have been interesting if you know when um, his wife, John uh, Nicholas Cage's wife, goes to see John Cusack, and he and she's like, "Well, where the fuck is he?" Not like that. And he says, "Well, you know, um, sometimes people get scared. Like people that are out, they they're being institutionalized, and they don't want to sometimes come home." And she's like, "Well, he wouldn't do that. That's not him." Wouldn't it have been interesting if there was an element of that to his character, so that you don't know if he's doing these things because he's a hero or mm. if because he is scared to go home, or maybe a bit of both, rather than mm. just it's good. It's a good film for him just being like, "Just I'm a flat out no. fucking fuck it hero." But maybe mm. if he'd been like, "I can't help myself," and maybe if the thing that he'd done wrong when he killed that person in self-defense had been the element, she's like, "You don't go off like that." But- I think it's much funnier when you're watching it if you think he doesn't want to go home and he's doing all this to avoid having <laughs> yeah. to see his missus. Yeah, get stuck in with the childcare. No one wants that. To that would be a lot more interesting, but it would require him to deliver that line uh, in a much better way. When Cyrus is like, 15 years, uh, you know, in prison, you you couldn't get wait to." Get off, uh, and now you want to stay. Yeah. And okay, he goes, Cameron Poe goes, fear of freedom, I guess. <laughs> and you're like, if I was a genius level criminal, yeah. I'd be like, mm, something, something's not right here. <laughs> yeah. That that doesn't scan. Yep. Um, while this is all happening, we're back on the ground and they find Cyrus's uh, hijack plans in a secret <laughs> room behind his cell, which is so ridiculous, this room it. he's got. Love it. It's great. <laughs> He's got a little den, basically. Uh, they find it all via a Last Supper decoder, Perfect. which turns the film into Da Vinci Code before <laughs> Da Vinci Code, really, about about six years before, seven years before the Da Vinci Code. But they're quite slow to move on that info, aren't they, when they find everything. Mm. Um, they spend a fair amount of time trying to crack the code when they could... There's something wrong here. Let's let's speak to the plane first. Yes, just to be on the safe side. Um, I just, uh, just a bit where the propeller flies down the corridor. That whole sequence. That bit. Oh, yeah. I, I just, I, for some reason, that propeller embedding in the wall. You cried. I, I just, you cried. It's a great it's very action emotional. sequence. It's a, I did. I wept. Weirdo. I wept like Nicolas Cage on Connor. Want <laughs> you? Um, the jailbird. They find the tape player on the plane on the DEA agent. How big was the tape player? Even in 1997, <laughs> did they not have smaller? 
Like a dictator. Tape, a dictaphone. I, I had them in 1997. <laughs> you are, He's got like a high-five. Yeah. cassette. We're going to need you to uh, re-spool it halfway through the flight. <laughs> you have to wear this Sony disc, man. Um, and then there's quite convoluted scenes now of people getting on and off planes, which is all a bit overly complicated. But all it really means is we've got some new passengers, um, including Swamp Thing, who can fly the plane. Mm. Handy. Um, a what I'm going to call flamboyant prisoner, um, read awful gay caricature uh, called Sally Can't Dance, which was awful 20 years ago, awful today. Really? No, I like Sally Can't Dance. I disagree. I think she's great. Yeah, she. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot been said about. Well, I don't. It's the 90s, but the film goes fairly easy on her for when it was made. Basically, like. I do think it's, I mean, but then I don't know, you know, she she wants to get her dress. That's the first thing she does. Like when they land wherever they are, you know, she goes to a suitcase and gets her frock. Mm. Um, but for the time it was made, I think that character could have come off a lot worse. So I know it's, it's slim praise to be like, oh, actually, it's fine. Um, but I do think um, the way that she's um, part of the crew and all the rest of it is quite good for the time. Fair enough. Uh, we also meet Garland Green, a.k.a. the Marietta Mangler, played by Steve Buscemi. Um, he's killed 30-something people up and down the eastern seaboard. He makes the Manson family look like the Partridge family. Mm. And he once wore a girl's head like a hat. Mm. Which uh, he drove across three states. Yeah, he did. How do you wear a head like a hat? I've thought about it quite a lot. I yes. think you just hollow it out. Mm. But then how do you get the height? Yes. Because, yeah, it would be a mask then, well, wouldn't it? Well, hat doesn't need to be that high. You Does it not? Be, that's no. what it I'm It could be more like a sort of hood. If you took all the bone out and it was just the skin, like yeah. a sort of a hood. Yeah. Well, then wouldn't you say he wore a girl's head like a hood? <laughs> that's not really a hat. <laughs> I mean, I think he can he can describe it any way he wants. He's not the kind of person if he describes a hood as a hat, you're going to go... Can I stop you there? How did you get the height? <laughs> it's not him describing it though, is it? It's, it's isn't it someone else describing it? I just think it's a weird turn of phrase. And it, he wore a girl's face like a hat. I could imagine slicing a face off. I mean, we might even be talking. Yes, yes. He's got new glasses. He can see better now. <laughs> get the accuracy. No, I'm good. Genuinely, Vic, I'm going to get into it in the next episode. Great. Um, but yeah, it allows Steve Buscemi to be very funny, talk a lot of very amusing shit, and basically be a funny Hannibal Lecter slash sort of. John Doe. Yeah, but you're right about, you know, you were just saying about, oh, the characters need some complexity and whatever. This character does have that. Like, Garland Green has the arc. And so you are rooting for this man. So when he doesn't murder a child, you're like, fucking legend, Garland Green, you didn't do it. How weird is that? But what, what so what, because that's a really interesting question. What are we meant to take from I that? Because I, I, I get really confused at the fact that he has tea, little tea party with a girl in the empty swimming pool. Yeah. And then he gets back on the plane. And, and he, you, the plane flies over him and it's that Sweet Home Alabama kicks off. But I know this is jumping ahead a little bit, mm. but I just do not know. I, I, I'm just sort of like, so he's a good guy now? Are we supposed to be like on his side because he didn't murder someone and just forget the yeah, other 30? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the US Marshal uh, wants to use Poe. The DEA agent wants to shoot the plane down. Quite uh, right. They go with the latter option, which is the wrong option. But then they mess it up anyway, because mm. uh, they end up going after a um, the transponder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the transponders in another plane. <laughs> um, we get the put the bunny back in the box line. Uh, do you know what's more disturbing about that scene? How yellow Billy Bedlam's teeth are. It's, mm. It makes, makes me feel really uncomfortable how yellow his teeth are. Do you like the bunny back in the box line? I really do. Mm. I really do. It makes me think a little bit of of what John Wick was trying to channel. That kind of ridiculousness where it's, you know, the bunny represents his daughter, basically, like like a dog represents his wife in, in John Wick. And it becomes, 
I don't know. I like that that strange way of, of making the stakes incredibly high for something so stupid. Because this 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 is the kind of moment that I think features on a lot of lists of like, has Cage gone too far? Mm. You know where he becomes a bit marmite. People go, it's just it's a bit silly. There's, there's a lot more in Face Off, actually less in The Rock. Mm. But this is one of those scenes where it was another <laughs> idea of Cage's, and you sort of go, is it too much? But I don't think so. I, I like it when he goes just like just weird into a weird place. Um, and then and they have that fight bent over. I quite like a fight where you've got to be bent over the whole time. Oh, yeah. That's a strange choice. <laughs> um, and then we're into Act 3 where they're coming down to Earth twice. Um, the cons are waiting for um, Sindino's plane. Um, this scene, Nicolas Cage takes off his shirt yes. so we can see his muscles in his vest. Uh, you like it? I think it, it looks is great. impressive. Mm. Um, do, this- do you not? Yeah, he looks good. 3% body fat. All good. Um, in this scene, Cameron Poe isn't looking for a needle in a haystack. He's looking for a needle in an airfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get... <laughs> I'm getting glared at. What have I done? No, nothing. nothing. It's nothing. You, just, you said it so seriously. <laughs> no, you haven't done anything. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just the way you said He's not looking for a needle. not looking for a needle in a haystack. It's the, for a it, needle in an it's the cleverest thing I've written here, so I had to take my time. Uh, and then, as Alex said, we get to what I would say is the most memorable scene in the film. Um, and I'm going to call it the Frankenstein sequence, um, yeah. where Garland finds a little girl having a tea party in an empty swimming pool. We don't know who she is, why she's there, what she's doing, hanging out on her own, covered in filth. Well, because well, it's next to a trailer yeah. park. They so make she's... a point of that. They yeah. put a trailer park in the background because there is that question like, well, is this, on an, is this still on the airfield? Yeah. But no, there's a trailer park there. Uh, and she says to him, are you sick? You look sick. And he says, there's no medicine for what I have. Because it just connects with him. And they sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, <laughs> which is such a what the fuck moment awesome. in this film. The film basically comes to a standstill so he can sing with a little girl. Yeah. Um, and the next scene, um, she's disappeared. And as the audience, we kind of fear the worst, as you said. Um, With his penchant for hats slash hoods. So, yeah, to your question, are we to think that Garland Gray is rehabilitated by prison and that he's now no longer the killer that he once was? Um, Is this a pro-prison movie? (laughs) <laughs> I think, isn't it, that he's had his first taste. When he gets off the plane, he's been free for 10 seconds. He, like, sniffs the wind, <laughs> can sniff a child mm. and goes to find her to kill her. Mm. And then I think because the insight and the naivety and the pure heart of a child, she's like, but you're so sick. And he's like, oh, God, maybe I am. So maybe I warn you. Thank you, small child, for holding a mirror to me in a way that prison never could. And now I won't murder you. And um, the film belongs to me now. Mm. There's a theory that she's in his head, that she doesn't exist, Okay, which doesn't quite work because we see her, which would work fine if they stopped here. But then when we see her waving at the plane, mm. he's not seeing that. But yeah. I like the idea that she could have been in, a, in his head. But is it a weird choice for this film as well to have the most dangerous criminal not do anything bad? I just think it's weird. They, they build him up so much. And I guess it's to, you know... Um, Surprise us that he doesn't yeah. do anything, but also I'm kind of, I'm almost disappointed that we don't see him do something. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. Have, it's Steve Buscemi, and he's like he's so insanely likable and weird that it works that he doesn't do anything. And well, he's likable and he's likable until he's not likable and does psychotic things in films, and then he's terrifying. Well, yeah, Fargo, for example. 
Yeah, I sort of, even that, he's sort of like charmingly rubbish as a hitman. Um, director Simon West says of the scene uh, that uh, the original scene with Steve Buscemi and the little girl was quite a bit longer in my first cut. However, during the first test screen in the film, the audience was so freaked out about it that I had to cut it down considerably. So somewhere there's a long version of that, which I would like to see. That's weird. I don't find it freaky. I just find it bewildering. Yeah. No, it's freaky because you think you think you're going to see him do something terrible to a little girl. It's it's quite comfortable to watch now because with hindsight, I know I know see, that I this just, is going to be fine. But I, I never did though. I I I I think you watch that and you know you know you know full well that you're not going to see anything bad because it's not that kind of movie. Well, then they haven't done their job then because they've set him up that he's going to kill this girl. Mm. And um, if you didn't think that, then I don't think they've done their job. Well, then Simon West hasn't done his job. No, I, I didn't think that. Um, and so Sindino tries to take off, but Kuzak stops him with a crane. And then, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, Cyrus sets Sindino on fire with the line. <laughs> Sindino says Sai, and Cyrus says Onara. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which causes Kane to, uh, Cage to have to run away from the fire and jump through the air away from an explosion, which is always satisfying. He does that a few times, I think, across these three films. Yeah. And then we get uh, my favourite, the Doc Brown moment of stopping the film to explain what's happening using props. Uh, Cyrus uses cans and sand and a stick <laughs> to explain his plan, which is to create an airtight cage filled with lots and lots of dead people. <laughs> the difference is, in Back to the Future 2, he's doing it because it's gotten really complicated. This is a very simple plan. Yeah. He should have said, you stand on the left and you stand on the right and when the baddies come, fire at them. We don't, I'd, I'd say we don't even need the explanation. i we don't have the time. Someone's already said they are 10 minutes away. And I feel like um, this, this action now, I think you can see why Simon West is an inferior director to John Woo mm. and Michael Bay. I, I agree. This scene should be really thrilling yeah. and it's my, it's my least favourite action it, scene. There's in the so film. much of it shot in close-up mm. Which I think is a problem. And it feels like he's going through the motions of having to have an explosion and then a punch and then an explosion. And yeah, and even the sort of the logistics of how it would work, like when they pull out the snow plow and they sort of like, he go like John Cusack's driving it, he's going, get behind this. And they're not really behind it. And yet somehow it's like, it, it's protecting them. And you're not even sure which way it's going, whether they're retreating or moving yeah. forward. Like the geography of the scene is kind of fucked up, which ruins it. Yeah, and Nicolas Cage isn't in it as well because he's off looking for a syringe or looking for some insulin or something. Looking for a needle, not in a haystack, but sorry, on an airfield. Sorry, I have already been told. Sorry. It's excellent wordplay. <laughs> uh, uh, but the plane uh, manages to take off with Malloy's car attached to the rear. That's brilliant. That uh, is that is brilliant. Which, yeah. You know, you forgive him for the, the yeah. terrible, like, you know, airtight passageway mm. nonsense because that scene... Um, it's like not only is it really great where it goes through um, the watchtower, but even the bit before that where Nicolas Cage, I think it is, goes on any other day. That might seem strange when it's being towed by the Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the script having fun and it's yeah. the film winking at the audience, which I think this film, that's fine to do. Um, and then he say on the pl- back on the plane, he saves Adele. Then after all that, Adele gets killed. Apparently, we see Adele die. Um, Who's Adele? Uh, little O, his name is. Which is Little O? Uh, baby O. Baby O, sorry. Oh, yeah, Baby O. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't die. I thought I wrote, oh, he's dead. No, they and freaking then... kill him. That's what I mean. And then he's back to life. Like, I feel like the, yeah. the, 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 the film is um, not doing its job yeah. here. It's disappointing because Nicolas Cage has not been in that fight. 
to get the syringe. And if he's going to die anyway, what's the point? Um, and he slaps rather than punches. Sally can't dance, which I found another unpleasant moment, really. Well, yeah, but then there's another reading of it, which is he correctly genders her. Because the way Cameron Poe is, he's got this whole thing about calling everyone mom and <clears throat> doesn't disrespect a woman <clears throat> and all of that. And that is problematic sometimes. But Great. how would Cameron react to a, a cis woman in that moment? He would probably slap her. Yep. Um, and then he's landing in Las Vegas. Um which is Cage's third time in Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas, honeymoon in Vegas. This could have been... Arriving in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been... This could have been our, our hat trick today. Um, yeah. uh, that wasn't the original idea. Uh, Brock Carmen says, one draft of the script had the plane crashing into the White House. <laughs> Why? Um, he said, I didn't quite believe that. And I said the guys would... Ra- would ra- I'd rather have the guys crash in Las Vegas. So we took our convicts and brought the plane down to land on Las Vegas Boulevard, about 50 yards from the front of the Sands Hotel. Uh, we got very lucky. The Sands was going to be demolished anyway. They blew up the tower on their own. We arranged to blow up the front of the building. 14 cameras filmed the stunt and they only had one take. Wow. So are we going to go into this ending and the fact that Colmini wants to shoot the plane down? And the pilot actually says to him, we should shoot the plane down over the open desert. And then they don't. And he goes, now the civilian casualties will be enormous. Uh, and, and they're right. Yes. Because <laughs> it is the right the right decision would have been, sad to say, you know, Cameron Post should have unfortunately died on the yep. plane with Baby O and with the guard yeah. because, because you should have shot it down over the desert. Fucking ages ago, to be honest. There is no way. Like, I, I had an argument with Nettie about this because she's like, no, you don't. No people would have died because it was down the middle of the strip. I'm like, a lot of people died in that sequence. So many people die when that plane lands on the strip in Vegas. You, there is one scene where you see a big explosion and people flying forwards. Yeah. Death on a massive scale to save what? A, f- a plane? A yeah. Some convicts? Well, obviously, this is pre 9 11 as well, but post 9 11, you know, with a plane that did save a lot of people by going down. Mm. Um, it, it almost turns Larkin into the villain, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, it's interesting. What What is his arc? Actually, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Because they should have shot it down ages ago. And they even undermine their... They need more hostages, more, in, in quote marks, innocent civilians, because mm-hmm. they even say, oh, well, all the guards signed a no-hostage clause or something. So you're like, yeah, you're right. What John Cusack is trying to save a plane, like a piece of machinery, and that doesn't seem like enough. Mm. And, that's, and what makes it even worse is at the, uh, at the very end, after, after there is clearly death and destruction throughout Las Vegas from a crashing plane, him and Comini are having a joke about it, where he goes, he goes... Uh, still glad we didn't shoot it down over the desert, looking around, looking around, death, blood, dismemberment, <laughs> looking around. Sure, and then John Cusack goes, yeah, this is way better. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, Cyrus escapes and uh, gets away on a fire engine. Um, uh, John Cusack and uh, Nicolas Cage give chase on motorbikes. But the best bit before that is where he pops his head out of the hatch underneath the plane like a turtle. <laughs> Just like the hatch falls and then he goes, hello. <laughs> there's a fight, there's a hose, there's, there's a stabbing in a leg, there's a fight on a ladder. And then um, Cyrus goes through a window. Uh, then he gets electrocuted. <laughs> and then what happens exactly he gets here? His head smashed in by a a very conveniently a, a very conveniently placed rock smashing machine. That's right. So yeah. has some construction work going on. Yeah. Have they been actively mining in downtown <laughs> Las Vegas and they've left all their equipment switched on? Yeah. 
Um, Alex, you mentioned in the last episode the Naked Gun steamroller death, mm. and that's what this feels like to me. It's it turns into parody almost, and I guess a lot of the way through the film they are having a joke with the audience. They're like this is ridiculous. We ha- this is parody. This is almost Jerry Zucker. But then that I think just pushes it over the edge. It's it, it's so silly. It's like I'm going. We're going to, he's but you can see the thinking. It's like he's so bad. Mm. Like he's our main villain. We have to kill him like three, three times. times. <laughs> right. There has to be three deaths in the final one. It doesn't doesn't matter about the logic. He has to have his head crushed by a rock smashing mining machine in the middle of Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, and then Cameron Poe finds a bunny in a drain. <laughs> now is that his bunny from the play? It is his bunny. Is it? Bunny, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't work out or if it was just a random bunny because I feel like there's more chance of him finding a random bunny in a train first, than his own one from that he, plane crash. From he's clearly never seen it because you don't go reaching into drains in movies. But also, he should just let that bunny go when he takes it to his daughter. Do you not know, just think sometimes? No gift is the best <laughs> gift. Well, it, it, considering how much it frightens her, yeah, she's genuinely terrified. She is. She um, does really well. That yeah. that little girl. Yeah. She does because she's. It is a dirty bunny, and you don't. Who is this man? It's all terrifying. And your mum is like, "Go on, give him a kiss." Or yeah. First impressions, Cameron. <laughs> uh, this, this is not a good one. Did did, did this scene make you well up? No, no, it did me a little bit. Some big emotions, <laughs> and then that lovely song. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. Uh, and so uh, the film actually ends with Garland gambling in a <laughs> casino. Again, which just to, I didn't want to mention it earlier because I think it's important to talk about it as the final scene in the film. But well, he's like, he's been sort of semi silent, kind of like vacant, making the odd remark throughout the movie. And suddenly he's like, there's a new shooter in town and he's feeling lucky. Like, who's this guy? He's the hero of the film. <laughs> he is, isn't he? You know is. I didn't kill her, so I get to survive at the end. Yeah. And, and maybe uh, become rich. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they find Steve Buscemi in a casino uh, at the start of the second best meteor flick? Oh, yeah. He's not in Deep Impact. <laughs> so I'm thinking shared universe. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's a weird coincidence, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it does fit. He does act a lot like Garland <laughs> yeah, when he's got space dementia. <laughs> and then we've got some Dad's Army credits where we see all the characters. And I quite like that. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. don't, no, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's, it's, it's fixed. It makes you instantly think, God, this film has been such a laugh. <laughs> and I've had such a good time. And everyone's like, hey. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll talk about them in a the bit. So um, <laughs> the production notes say this film is a story about redemption. It's a modern day hero's uh, odyssey. It's about the larger in life trials and tribulations, life and death tribulations. Uh, Cameron Poe encounters on his journey home to his family. Entertainment Weekly called it a headache in the form of a movie. <laughs> Um, and I thought this was a really interesting quote. This is from Michael Landon, um, who was a producer and former Simpson Bruckheimer employee. He said, Con Air is an incredibly visceral experience and a new level of insulting the audience. Mm. It's Jerry without the humanity of Don who wouldn't have accepted something so empty and cold. Oh. Which I think is quite harsh. Me too. I love it. The quote of the film. The film. Yeah, uh, I won't, I, yeah it, me too. It's, it's so much fun. And yep. it's just the right level of ridiculous, apart from Cyrus's death at the end, which is just a little too far. Yeah. It's, it, it knows what it's doing and it's stupid. I mean, granted, Bay would have made a better director, but uh, apart from that. The only other bit of trivia I've got is, is uh, in an interview, Danny Trejo was asked, who was the craziest person on the Con Air set because it seems insane? Mm. And he, without missing a beat, he said immediately, 
John Cusack was by far the most insane person. Really? I've, I've seen, I've read, I've heard that interview. Uh, yeah. People talk about John Cusack as um, Danny Trejo. It is. It's the, Danny Trejo. It's the same interview. He goes, I, you know, because obviously he's like he's met a lot of terrifying people, and he <laughs> yeah. says John Cusack is hands down the scariest person he's ever met. He says there's something about the look in his eyes where he's actually scared of John Cusack, and he wasn't. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it as a joke. He right. was like he's genuinely the scariest person I've ever met. <laughs> right. Right, should we do the bits? Yeah, let's do the bits. All right, uh, Victoria, what's your favourite scene? Well, you're going to laugh, but when John Cusack's doing that um, narration about who the criminals are that are getting on the jailbird, I really love that scene wow. so much. I know, because You've everyone... gone from anti-narration to the narration queen. It just has to be so good, and I think that is good. And also because all the criminals, they really sell it, you know, they step off and they're like, Urgh! and then they go <laughs> the And then Cameron Poe steps off and looks up at the sun and his hair billows Beautiful. behind like, him. I'm yeah. such a good guy. Yeah. And the backstories are interesting. Yeah. I just it's think great. it's no, fun. It's it great. could be shit and it's really fun. It's great. I agree. Uh, Alex? Um, uh, there are two moments and both of them feature one of my favourite songs of all time. The first moment we touched on is just... How do I live? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. I love it. Um, it's uh, the moment where the plane's flying over um, the little girl and first it's revealed that the little girl is alive. And she's like, bye, Mr. Man. And the plane flies <laughs> over. And and then the, it's just the opening bar uh, to um, Sweet Home Alabama kicks in. And then you see all the cons having their little party on the plane. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, I just love that. And then it's the bit that you touched on, which is the fucking credits. I love, <laughs> love the Dad's Army credits where everyone gets a little bit of a look towards the yeah, camera kind great. of thing. But I really love it. Because apparently John Malkovich did not enjoy his time on this movie. He says all the script okay. changes and like people changing things and like the <clears> script <throat> wasn't finished. He was like he found it really difficult to get his handle on this character, which you wouldn't know watching it because he's fucking fantastic as Cyrus. Um, but in those credits, it's a little outtake. Some people, it's not an outtake, but his isn't a scene from the movie. It's a bit where clearly he's been doing a scene and then something's gone wrong or someone said something and he just like laughs and smiles and you go, oh, see, uh, Cyrus isn't really dead and he's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had written down, put the bunny back in the box. Okay. But I'm going to change it. I, I'm going to go with um, the Buscemi in the swimming pool scene simply because when we were talking about it just then, I remembered, I had a flashback to seeing it in the cinema and remembering what it felt like watching it in the cinema. And it was a really, really memorable cinema moment, even though I forgot it until now. <laughs> so I'm going for that scene. Uh, most valuable whatever, Alex. John Malkovich, without a shadow of a doubt, no perfect in this movie in every possible way. He is wondrous. I love him. Victoria. Uh, Steve Buscemi as Garland Green. It's his film. Uh, and if it isn't, he steals it. So it is his <laughs> film. Uh, he's hypnotic. And he has the biggest arc. He mm. is a murderer who then doesn't kill an, an unprotected child. No one there to stop him. Doesn't do it. Lovely. What development for him. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. I mean, I think within the Connor universe, you're being deadly serious. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> I was cheering for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and also on a rewatch, you're waiting for his scenes. Actually, you're waiting for him to show up yeah. because it it, does, it 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 gives the film the kick up the arse it needs at that moment. His score, the score yeah. that introduces him. But duh. having you know, when you see Hannibal Lecter, Hannibal Lecter is that, that what's that ninety one, and the, mm. his chains and his face when he's wheeled into the airport on that fucking trolley thing. But what they do when Steve Buscemi's in a chair and it's like there's, it looks even scarier. He looks they manage to make him look scarier than Hannibal Lecter, so you buy it straight away. They must be worse. Uh, good, but you're both wrong. It is the thin, um, stringy hillbilly mullet 
that Nicolas Cage oh, is wearing on his head. Horrid. Um, I really hate his hair. It's not like mullets were even cool in 1997. Uh, they'd long been dead, but I feel like that Cameron Poe's business at the front and party at the back <laughs> looks so beautiful in the wind <laughs> that it has to be that. But if he just had some conditioner, it would be even better in the wind because it would really get some lift. Does he mention having a haircut before he's going to see his wife or something at the start? Is there some suggestion that he knows he should cut his hair because he should know that and he should cut his hair? I feel like that's true, yeah. He says, hello, hummingbird, I meant to get a haircut. Yeah, Aww. but you didn't because that's a lie. First thing he says to her is a lie. Here's a, here's a dirty bunny and I'm going to pretend I was going to get my haircut, but I think it's fucking awesome, so probably don't bring it up. Uh, <laughs> When's dinner? Uh, what would you change if you could change anything, Alex? Um, I'd change... I'm not a fan of the fire truck chase at the end. It's all very... I don't know why. I just keep thinking view to a kill every time I see a fire truck chase. So sort of after you've had all the drama of everything on the plane and the plane crashing, and you're not going to get a bigger spectacle than the plane hitting the Las Vegas Strip. And I just feel after that to then... It feels tagged on this sort of subsequent motorbike chase. And sure you've got to kill off your villains and they've each got to have their individual deaths and there has to be sort of like, oh my God, Ving Rhames got killed in the motorcycle explosion. And then you've got to kill Cyrus 17 times. But it's just, it, it all feels, I'm just waiting at that point for Cameron Poe to get back to his hummingbird and uh, demand dinner. <laughs> um, so yeah, that uh, and uh, John Cusack's sandals, which are uh, bullshit. Vicky? Uh, just a little bit of ambiguity in the fight that gets Nicolas Cage put away. So it's it, to me, he was doing, I mean, you don't want to kill someone, but he was forced into that situation. And his wife has hinted at it, like, don't be that person. And it's like, there should be something in him that he can't resist trouble and, and all of that. And then you can play on that later. And it would give him some capital letters acting to do <laughs> because then he would change throughout the course of the film and try not to be that guy and mm. all the rest of it. But I think he is trying not to be that guy with the. I told you the single, oh, sorry, tear. The single tear. You don't. You once you watch it again and notice the tear, and that's the moment that he goes from being rehabilitated to realizing he has to dig deep stuck back in, and yeah. start pushing noses into brains. Cool. Uh, my change is that the Colombians are drug lord, uh, the Mexicans are rapist, uh, the black guys are either militant or crack addicts. I think you know. I think if this was made now, we might have some. A bit more multicultural on the good guys as well as the sure. as the bad guys side. Um, I think that does date the film a bit. And that is Con Air done. Woo. Would you like a quiz? Flipping heck yes. Um, so I couldn't not do a quiz about Nicolas Cage, could mm-hmm. I? So have you? Be, I mean, you could have seen this coming. <laughs> so have you been researching the the, the real life Nicolas Cage? No. I feel like I've done enough Nicolas Cage for the next sort of six months with these three movies in three days. <laughs> okay, true or false, we're going to play. Mm. Uh, facts about Nicolas Cage. Okay. Um, Nick Cage's middle name is Fortitude. False. False. Correct. It is Kim. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nick Cage ate a live snake in the film Vampire's Kiss. Mm, true. True. False. It, oh. it was a live cockroach. Damn it! I read that as well <laughs> in my list of crazy things Nick Cage has done. See, he has done his own work. I remember. I mean, just by chance, I wasn't. <laughs> Thanks for the message, Chris. <laughs> uh, Nick Cage. <clears throat> Nick Cage once went on a quest to find the Holy Grail. True. False. That is true. Oh, what? Uh, he likened the search to his National Treasure movies, and when asked if he succeeded, Cage said. 
what is the grail but Earth itself? Correct. <laughs> um, it's amazing. He talks about it a lot, though. He really did globetrot, and he was buying houses near places that he felt were grail-like. It was. What, what, what do you mean? His he went to buy some property. Yeah, and he went then on holiday. While he was there, he sort of went. I might look for the grail. He's got obsessed. No, he, he'd been off to Glastonbury several times looking for it. It's not there. Well, he chose. Um, I think poorly. you'll find. <laughs> I think you'll find that the grail is Earth itself. So oh, it is. God, sorry. You've, sorry. Uh, but Nick, what would Ming the Merciless call it? <laughs> the Imperial Grail. <laughs> uh, Nick Cage loves motorbikes, but won't ride one until it's been blessed by a Catholic priest. Uh, false. True. It's false. Another one to Vicky. Oh my God. Uh, Should have brought my trophy with me. <laughs> have you still got it? Rub it. Yeah, of course I've got it. Uh, Nick Cage has a tattoo of a dragon breathing fire at a castle on his back. True. False. It's false. I made that up. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it could be true. I haven't seen his back. But That's I, I Ben Affleck. <laughs> Uh, in 2015, Nick Cage turned over a stolen dinosaur skull to the Mongolian government. True. True. That is true. It's so specific, isn't it? Um, he'd bought it at auction for $276,000 and it was stolen. Um, and so he had to hand it back to the government. I don't know if he got his money back. I told you when I interviewed him uh, for the movie Knowing, uh, which he did not want to talk about in the interview, <laughs> I can't remember how he got onto it, but I mentioned chickens and he was like, did you know that uh, chickens... And the T-Rex share I identical that. DNA. Yeah, it's I didn't It's not identical time. because one's a chicken right. <laughs> one's a dinosaur. I'm, hey, listen, I'm quite Nicholas Cage here. He was like, he was, he was, he used the word identical. And I thought, yeah, well, all right, here we go. <laughs> but he loved it. That's, didn't, that's didn't, from a Jurassic Park, isn't it? That like, that, that factoid. It's a true, it's just, it's just a fact. It's just a fact out there. birds and birds, dinosaurs mm. are closely related to birds. Because a pterosaur is, I mean, let's, mm. let's talk about this another time. Or a petrosaur. Sure. Mm. When Nick Cage was arrested following an argument with his wife in 2011, he was bailed out by Joe Exotic, a.k.a. Tiger King. Oh, false. I want it to be true. Yeah, and that's what I'm struggling with right now. Yeah. I so want that to be true that I'm going to say it's true, okay. even though it isn't, but true. It's false. Yeah. Oh, he was bailed shame. out by Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. What? <laughs> I just I just tweaked the truth a little bit there. Uh, in 2007, he bought the most haunted mansion in America so he could write a horror novel there. True. True. That is true. He told Vanity Fair uh, he didn't get far with the novel, uh, then lost the house to foreclosure two years later. That's a sad story. Uh, two left. Nick Cage. That was the horror story. <laughs> Foreclosure. Debt. Uh, Nick Cage purchased a twin plot in a New Orleans cemetery, then built a pyramid over the top. I'm going to say true. True. That's true. He uh, inscribed it with the words Omni Ab Uni, which means everything from one. Uh, finally, Nick Cage named his son Clark Kent Cage. True. Mm, false. It's false. He named him Kal-El. Oh, he did! <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> Very clever quiz, Chris, because I kept thinking, that is definitely true. I've read that, but you just tweaked it. <laughs> a couple of times I did. Uh, what a life that man's led, though. There was so much uh, to choose from. Yeah, and uh, buying $276,000 dinosaur skulls that you have to give back, you end up making Bangkok dangerous. So, you know, highs <laughs> and lows. Highs and lows. Your tiebreaker was going to see who got this one first. Do you know what Nicolas Cage's real last name is? Coppola. Yeah. No. Correct. You would have won that. Oh, oh. it is. Yeah. yeah. No, I know it is. Sorry. He's his nephew. 
And yeah. Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, isn't it? Yeah, that was going to be a race to the to see who they got that first. Uh, well done, Vicky. Well, you won everything there. You did. You pretty you wiped the floor with me. Anyone would think that after my victory at Christmas, I was giving you a head start. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nasty. That's crazy. Nasty. That is crazy. Man. I'm awful. I feel ugly. Right. Uh, that is the end of this episode. We are back because it's a triple threat week. We are going to be doing a third film. That film is Face Off. That's on Saturday. But before then, uh, we need to talk about what movies we're doing next week. Another couple of listener choices. Vicky, remind us of the clue that you gave us on Monday's episode. Where we're going, we will need sunglasses. Not Blues Brothers and Back to the Future. <laughs> and if you're listening and you're Samantha Price, Tom Hyten or Imran Leha, uh, congratulations because we've picked your films. What are the films, Vicky? Alex, you're doing Event Horizon. Yes! Exciting! <laughs> Sunshine. I'm doing sunshine. Alex was waiting 18 months to do Event Horizon. So thank you. Thank you all for suggesting that. So happy. It's wonderful. Uh, right then. Face Off is our last movie, and obviously we'll be declaring which of the movies, Con Air, The Rock, or Face Off, is the greatest movie in the holy grail of Nicolas Cage that Saturday. Back then. Thanks for listening. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.